Hey, it's Doug here, and I wanted to jump in at the beginning of this episode to let you know what to expect. So Joe Saul Cihai was in town here in Longmont to promote his book called Stacked. And Carl interviews Joe at the Mr. Money Mustache HQ. So there's a live audience there. Turns out I was actually in the audience, but I didn't participate in the actual episode. That's because I had just gotten back from a vacation that particular day. And I, I was like, I don't know if I'm going to be able to get back from the airport in time. I don't want to be too stressed out and all that kind of stuff. Turns out it's pretty fun just to sit in the audience and not um, have to do everything. So Carl did everything for this episode and he did a great job. There's a few uh, questions from the audience. We did our best uh, with the audio overall. Live events are pretty tough and they, they did a great job. Actually, shout out to Mindy Jensen, Carl's wife, who did all the AV stuff. So I may, I'll talk to her. Maybe we can hire her full time to do all the AV stuff because I think maybe she did a better job than what I normally do. But now I'm sort of getting off topic. So check out Stacked, check out uh, Joe's podcast and uh, Stacking Benjamins. A lot of people probably heard of it. And I think that's it for now. So thanks a lot. And uh, let's send it over to the episode. This is the Mile High Five podcast with Carl Jensen and Doug Cunnington. We have authentic conversations about the journey to Phi, health, happiness, and some very odd tangents. We interview Phi experts, side hustlers, people on their way to Phi, and those who have reached the other side. Join us every week. And if you want the show notes and links and all that other stuff, head over to milehighfi.com. Like we put that on the top of everything. So, and that's a Brad Lark design as well. Brad is a funny dude. Um, all right, we ready? Is the camera on? Or? Okay. Okay, I don't know. So I, I have two additional trivia questions and Joe does not know about either of these and they're kind of risque, so I hope... Um, Guys, be careful in answering the first one, but, but they're about your podcast and your new book. Oh, no. So let me bring up my notes here. Um, does it, anyone know the Joe Kennedy, I think, story, the shine Boy story back in 1928? So he said he knew the market was going to crash when he went for a uh, shine. Try saying that 10 times fast when you've had a couple beers in yet. He said he knew the market was going to crash when the shine Boy tried to give him stock market tips. So on a recent Stacking Benjamins podcast, who listens to the Stacking Benjamins podcast? It's pretty entertaining. They talked about a new leading indicator of when the stock market is going to crash. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah, you know where I'm going. So I'm going to give you, are you volunteering to say the answer? Okay. Watch out. Is your uh, partner here? They might be upset. I'm going to give you four options and you have to tell me which one is right. And then Joe will confirm or deny it and explain it. <laughs> So the four options are how, what do they say on Stacking Benjamins to know that the current stock market is overvalued? What is the leading indicator? Is it the length of the drive-through line at Chick-fil-A, um, the size of the crowd at the local strip club, uh, the toilet paper stock at Walmart, or the vol, I didn't know you had this, but apparently you have your own cryptocurrency, the, the Joe coin. And how, how do you stack a virtual currency? I don't even know how you do that. Like, Benjamin's, you could stack up. What do you do with a virtual? With a Z. Okay. Yeah. Or volatility in Joe coin, the stacking crypt, the stacking Benjamin cryptocurrency. So which one is it? The drive through line at Chick fil A, the size of the crowd at the strip club, the toilet paper at Walmart, or volatility in Joe coin? 
I believe it is the strip club indicator. It is the size of the crowd at the strip club. <laughs> yes. There was a woman on uh, TikTok who goes by, her handle is reverse cowgirl69. What, what does that mean? Wait, that's the same palindrome. Yes. We just talked about this. Yes. <laughs> and by the way, where, where the guy in uh, Omaha calls himself the Oracle, she calls herself the Horacle. <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah. Is she in Omaha? Or She's she? not. I don't know where she was. Okay. Yeah. We didn't do that deep a level research. Uh, Doug thought we should, go, we should go on a research trip, but yeah, we didn't. Deep research. We didn't go there. <laughs> that's right. Has she been on the... Jersey, okay. Matt, are you familiar with this? Matt's yeah. from Jersey, okay. Yeah? yeah. Okay. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> retiring next year. Like, don't you talk about reverse cowgirl 69. Yeah. Okay. Okay, so you get a book. Um, the next question is, oh, sorry, Joe. No, can you pass him a book? Oh. I've got a book already. Well, okay. hand it to somebody else. Yeah, you can gift it to someone else. Well, gift it to me. Love one. Joe, the indicator. What does it mean? Like more people at the ship club? Fewer. Fewer. And then we talked about it means stock market is going down. And also, uh, then we talked about veterinarians. It's the same way. Everybody says that the pet is a member of the family. It turns out a member of the family, except when the economy goes bad. <laughs> And that's when poor little Cooper the cat gets voted off the island at that point, yeah. So you have not had reverse cowgirl 69 on the Stacking Benjamins podcast yet. We should have had her yet. on the show. Yeah, you should. We should have. <laughs> we missed a guest opportunity. Yes. Maybe you should send her the thong. Like, that'd be pretty cool. She wears it up on, no. You wouldn't get that much publicity because it's got to come off. But. That's right. Right. Oh my God. Okay. Question number two. Uh, the new book references a video game. How many people have read the book? Okay. So you're out. You can't answer this question. Um, which video game is referenced in the book? Is it Tetris? My Little Pony, Pinkie Pie's Revenge. I didn't even know that existed. Um, Grand Theft Auto. Sounds like a bad thing for a financial book. Or Ms. Stackman, if you, which, which sounds like a ripoff of Pac-Man, right? No. TM. We put TM on the end. Okay. <laughs> who would like to take a guess at this? Someone who hasn't read it. Travis. It is not. It is not. Yeah. yeah. Anyone else? It's, it is Tetris. My co-author, Emily Guy Birkin, compares uh, Tetris to uh, your budget about you, and you start off with the most important blocks first, right? And then you fit the smaller blocks around it. Kind of like you see those teachers that talk about, you know, is this jar full when they fill it full of big rocks, and then they fill it full of smaller rocks, and then the sand, and the... So start off with what you value first and then build around it. We compare that to Tetris. Did anyone think it was Pinkie Pie's Revenge or show of hands? <laughs> I, think, I think they had you, yes. <laughs> Can I talk about these guys just briefly before we start going? Yeah. Because if it weren't for a million stories, this is a nonprofit that if it weren't, you don't see many book tours anymore. And if it weren't for a million stories, I couldn't make it. You know, most people, as I look around, I know a lot more faces here than I know in most cities. 
And we get the same question all the time. How do I get my non-money friends interested in this topic? Because there's so many books, there's so many videos, there's so many great blogs, there's so much stuff out there. And they have the same attitude that we have, which is that we just need more on-ramps. We need, we need these very, very, very simple on-ramps. And so they, have a, they do Netflix-style uh, videos five to seven minutes long. There are these different series. George goes everywhere. George takes a hundred bucks into a major city like Denver and shows you all the cool things you can do for an entire day and a hundred bucks. Um, my favorite one is one called Your Brain on Money. And actually, let's do this one for a second because Your Brain on Money talks about the synapses in your brain and how we're all kind of wired differently. And you know, the dopamine hit we get, that's the big fat lie when we go buy something or the serotonin and you know, the different chemical reactions. But they talk about this, you know, Dave Ramsey has this, uh, has this uh, thing that he says that you should never use credit cards. You should always just carry cash. And I do know statistically that's fine for most people. Statistically, that seems to work out every study I've seen. But I'm the exact opposite. If I have cash in my pocket, it's not accountable. I blow cash like nobody's business where the credit card goes immediately to my spreadsheet, goes immediately to the budget. Cheryl and I have our weekly 20-minute meeting over pancakes or wine, depending on what time of day it is. And, um, and, and, and it's accountable. So I'm the exact opposite of that. And they talk about that in this country, that we have a divided nation right now. And I think you guys know what we're talking about. This is a country with a big, big, big divide. And that is that half of us use iPhones and the other half use Android, right? I mean, this is the biggest problem we have today. So I love this brain on money. And these are the simple things that they do. And I just want to do this with everybody kind of as a way to open up. Because this is kind of like the book and, the, uh, and our podcast. I'm very interested in financial literacy, but I'm far more interested in on-ramp for people that otherwise would not be interested in stuff. We talk about strippers so that somebody might go, huh? And then, and then they realize it's bait and switch, you know? Uh, but uh, how many of you have iPhones? All right, who's got Android? Well, that'd be everybody else. Unless Windows phone? Anybody Windows phone? <laughs> Actually, you know what is funny? Is that in Philadelphia, we had a dude sitting right where you are, and he had a flip phone, which was a, <laughs> I would love to have the flip phone. Like when I'm doing the desk scroll, like that would be fantastic. But what was even better and congruent for money nerds like us I talked to him later. He worked for Vanguard. <laughs> and we asked him, we're like, Paula was at that event with us. And we asked him, we're like, so is that a company phone? Like, is that? <laughs> it turned out it wasn't, but that was pretty good. All right. Uh, this, is what, this is what your brain on money, this series says, if you're an iPhone user, is going on in your brain. And tell me if this is true. Uh, iPhone users, Tim Cook and Apple, they come out with the latest thing, you know, uh, lately, this last one, it was the things they're going to put on the lock screen. Before that, it was the three cameras, you know, they had the retina display, all of the different things that they do. When you hear this stuff, that's this innovation happening in iPhone, guess what happens in your brain? You get this warm fuzzy. You get this really nice, warm, fuzzy that you don't like what you pay for Apple products, but you're willing to pay it because they are taking care of me and they're always innovating and I really like it. So I'm going to put Apple stickers all over all my stuff, right? Now, Android, if you're an iPhone user and Android announces the same thing, right? They have three cameras. They've, they've made changes to their screen. They even got the one that folds open now. Whatever it is that Google or Samsung does, if you're an iPhone user and Android has innovation, guess what happens in your brain? 
not even that mark, you literally don't see it. You literally, you see the thing, but when they're studying your brainwaves, you go, oh yeah, not me. I'm not in that. I'm not in that community. That's not, that's not my people. So I don't even, it's like, it doesn't even fog a mirror. Didn't even happen. Now let's turn that around. If you are an Android user, Android announces the cool new three, you know, the, the three cameras, but they line up like this or the new screen display, whatever it is. Android announces some cool innovation. Guess what happens in your brain? Nothing. It's just a damn phone. <laughs> Literally, that's what happens. You're like, yeah, okay. It's a phone. Big deal. You know when Android users' brains go crazy, according to Million Stories? When Tim Cook and Apple announced something really went wrong with the iPhone, your brain lights up. You are so happy. You're like, oh my God, I'm so happy I didn't overpay for that crap. So that might be exaggerated, but I like the way that they get into those arguments. So anyway, I just wanted to start with them because if it weren't for them, and by the way, in every city, I'm talking to one person that I didn't meet. And on our Instagram page, we're, we're, they're telling me their money story. Rule has to be, I've never met them. They sit down with me cold and we just start talking. And Elizabeth back here, raise your hand, was nice enough to talk to me today. So thank you. And Elizabeth, I'm going to tell a little bit of Elizabeth's story, brag on her. They're going to see it later, Elizabeth. So anyway. <laughs> Uh, but but Elizabeth at, at 20 decided that college wasn't for her, you know, and in, in the United States, for a lot of people, college is just this, you know, you go to the doctor and they hit the knee. It's a reflex thing. I got to go to college. Well, 20, she's like, you know what? The ROI, that's not it for me. I want to be an entrepreneur. And she started this wonderful gift business that she's had. And now that has led her to an early retirement. And now she told me about how she teaches her kids about money and about values of money. So anyway, you'll see in about 40 days on our Instagram page. It was really neat. So that's all right. Anyway, that's it. Yeah. So are you saying Android users are assholes? Because that's what I got out of that. That's what I think. I'm an iPhone. Androids are dicks. Yeah. Uh, I think you're an eye hole. <laughs> what, kind of, um, what kind of phone does reverse cowgirl 69 have? <laughs> we didn't get her on the show. We should have had her on the show. If it was Matt in the old days, they would have had her on the show. <laughs> that's right. It's his mom. He knows. Where does she put it? <laughs> uh, this is taking a turn from the worst. Yeah. This is all me, natural. Right. Blame me, natural. Uh, so, yeah, I'm going to ask Joe a couple of questions about the book, and then we'll open it up to you all so you can ask Joe anything about the book or anything else. And I tried to think of what I should open up with, and I thought I would give you a softball one. Um, so the question I came up with is, uh, yeah, yeah, you, you know where I'm going with this. What The current, the current inflationary environment, like, when's it going to end? No, 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 that's not it. <laughs> Well, uh, unless you actually have an answer. Yeah, go for yes. it. I didn't expect you to have an answer. Okay. Um, yeah, so there's about a million financial independence books. And I've read this one, and it's a great one. But I'm curious, why should everyone else read this? What makes this different from ev every other book that's out there on the market now? I don't, I don't know that it is for everybody, but I do know. I mean, I'm very proud of it. And I think that um, – and I feel very lucky for because for a decade now, I've got to interview – most of the authors that put out great books and um, and the hole that I found was kind of the hole that uh, million stories found, which is there's this great there's this great uh, study 
called The Secret Financial Lives of Americans, and it's by this group called Nonfiction Research. And if you go look it up sometime, it's well worth the read. It is a long study, but it goes over some very disturbing statistics about our secret financial lives. Like the number of people, you know, if, if you've ever worked in an office and you've had that jerk at work, there's somebody at work that steals lunches, you know, that's always stealing your good lunch. They're not stealing it because they're a jerk. They're stealing it because they've totally screwed up their money and they have no food and they have to steal lunches. Otherwise, they're not going to have any lunch. Um, the number of people that have eaten out of dumpsters, number of people have said that they'd have to have or that they would agree to have sex if 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 they could get money for it. The um, just some d- disturbing statistics. But the most the one that really disturbed me, which, uh, you know, we're passionate about is out of what? Um, uh uh, 330 million Americans, uh, nearly half say that they've cried about their money. Nearly half. And by the way, you'd think that's people living paycheck to paycheck. And it is statistically a little bit more, but of people making over $200,000 a year, nearly 50% of those people say they cry about their money. So they're clearly, as we all know, because you're here, there's a disconnect between what we value and where our money's going. And with all the kick-ass stuff we have out there, we're still not reaching them, which is why that's been such a good partnership. Because, you know, on our show, I know that we have a, if, if, if you look at our show, the negative review that we get that I will never fix is that we screw around too much. But our goal, our goal is not the serious money nerd who has the, who, who is looking at tips per hour, right? How many tips per hour can I shove down my throat? Um, and don't get me wrong. There's lots of great podcasts that do that. My job is to get people to the point that they want that, right? That they actually want to have these discussions. My sister-in-law will not come to any financial event. You and I were talking about this earlier. My sister-in-law and I, my sister-in-law were, uh, Dusty, where's Dusty? Dusty and I would do events together in Detroit while I was there for two years. My sister-in-law lived very close to the place, just wouldn't come. She just doesn't want, I think she thinks it's going to be an Amway meeting or something. I, I have no idea. And I kept telling her, these are cool people. These are real people. These are people. And if they can do this stuff, you can do it. It's not rocket science. And so if we can lighten, lighten things up, um, it will help us get people involved. So the idea for the book is something I'd never seen before. I, I've seen one book like this, and it's Rick Edelman's The Truth About Money where it's pretty even-handed. It's, it's from beginning to end how to do your whole financial picture. Um, but the, uh, the difference is this one is very much for the non-financial geek, where Rick's is a little bit, a little bit heavier, I think. Uh, the idea for the book then, because of my target audience, was I wanted to take the, the Hardy Boys Detective Manual and I wanted to combine it with the Cub Scout Wolf Guide. That was what this is. <laughs> And, and, and I love what we did. But anybody read the Hardy Boys Detective Manual? Or is it just me? Hardy Boys Detective Manual. Like you open it. I carried this book around everywhere when I was in fourth grade. And you open this thing up. And on the very first page, it said, this is written with the help of a real live FBI agent. And my brother and I are like, this is legit. <laughs> like this is, we, this is awesome. Like my mom would touch a door handle. We're over there with the tape. Like we're getting mom's fingerprints. So that was kind of the campiness feel that I wanted. And then, um, and then, but I didn't have a structure. And then my mom gave me a bunch of stuff out of her attic when I turned 50, like the serious stuff, like my Cub Scout wolf guide, right? Stuff you can't trust me with. And it's amazing. You know, we talk about gamification, about dumbing it down, about making it easier. 
So many people feel so much pressure to get this right that they don't do anything because they're so paralyzed. So if we lower the temperature and make it a game, it makes it so much more fun. So you see all these app manufacturers doing it now, right? But I, as I'm leafing through the Cub Scout Wolf Guide, I realized these guys were gamifying stuff way before these apps were. They weren't chapters, they were achievements. You're getting achievements, like how awesome is that? And by the way, the easy achievements are in the front, the hard achievements are in the back. It starts off with tools you'll need. Ours might be a little bit ridiculous. And then succinctly tells you how to do the thing. And then at the end of the chapter, the achievement, there's a place where you show the fact that you actually did the stuff. Cause it's not, I, I was a financial planner for 16 years. The number of money geeks I've met, and you probably have too, that know a crap load of stuff, but haven't done crap. They've done nothing with all this knowledge. Dr still drives me crazy. It's not about what you know, it's about what you do. So at the end of the achievement, you have to show it by right, by checking these boxes that you did these things. And then there's a place for your mom to sign it, you get a badge. <laughs> Duh, right? So anyway, so we start off with stacking your first Benjamin and then building a stack of Benjamins and then protecting your Benjamins and then stacks and stacks of Benjamins. How to get rich quicker is in the back of the book. So that, that, was, the, that was the idea. So I think it fits, the place it fits is for somebody that doesn't know where to start. And it's not meant to be read front to back. It's meant to pull off the chapter, you know, when you're dealing with something and pull that, th this off and, 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 and get that achievement. Yeah. So I think like all these books teach you pretty much the same thing. Yeah. It's just a different approach. Agreed. But I think about this because I always give relatives of my family who are graduated from high school or college a book. And I get like Jacob Lundfisker, is that his name? Yes. Early Retirement Extreme. It's a great book. But it's, yeah, yeah, yeah. Beat, uh, beat Mr. Mighty Mustache knows where I'm going with this. Yeah. It's great for a physicist or if you're operating on a different level than the other than most people. If I gave that book to any of the people I, I know in my family who are graduated from high school or college, it would they would get through maybe half of page one and it would sit there and collect dust. Yeah. So yeah. It, whereas your book is fun, I read that. And even the introduction where uh, your co-author is like, I dedicated this to your mom and then, or no, you said I, I dedicated I this to, to my, my mom. Wife. Oh, yeah, but I then she wanted, to to dedicate, wife, yeah. she wanted to dedicate it to my wife, yeah. too. So on page one, it's fun. <laughs> so this is a book I could give to someone, and yeah. they would actually read it, like Hopefully. open it up and read I mean, it. That's the, that's, that's the mission. I I'm think. But yeah. You said something, though, a moment ago that I want you to elaborate on. You said we're, our money and values are disconnected. Can you elaborate on that a little bit? Well, I think our money doesn't, if we don't, so I think if we don't track where our money goes, and if we don't set ourselves up some system of how we manage money, we're, we're not going to get it right because some opportunity du jour is going to come along. And if we haven't thought about those big signposts in life that are important to us and we're just thinking about this thing, then I'm just evaluating this thing. Like as an example, halfway through the book, we talk about insurances. The insurance industry wants you to have this discussion. Do you need pet insurance, right? Or do you need life insurance? That's not the question. You don't want to play that game. Th that assumes insurance. The bigger question that you want to ask is, what are my risks and how do I protect against those things, right? So if we can widen it out, then we, then we do better. And as an example, just going back to insurance for a second, when we widen that question, then we start thinking actually like insurance companies. 
So the way insurance companies think is they got these people with very thick glasses in the back room who have all these charts, right? Have we had any actuaries here? Can we tell actuary jokes? We got actually all the actuaries I know know the best actuary jokes. They totally do. And they're awesome. They're very funny. But anyway, actuaries, how do they look at it? They look at insurance companies look at what, do, what, is, the, what is the threat and what's the chance this is going to happen to me? So when you're evaluating the threats to you, this is the way you think about it. Think about it this way. Not that I'm going to buy the insurance, but which insurances cost the most? And I probably want to think about those things. I don't want to buy that insurance, but I want to think about those things. Which insurances cost the least? I probably don't want to think about those. And I'll give you one on either end. The one that I can't help you solve, that nobody can help you solve, is this long-term care thing. Like I, I have no idea how to solve long-term care. I, I think for me, because I'm 54 years old, I'm probably going to get a policy that covers a little piece of it because I can afford to, to hand off part of that risk. It'll cap part of my risk. So I don't have this gigantic thing. I know I'm going to spend crap loads of money on this stupid thing. And I'm hoping I waste it, right? But I also know that if it happens to me, I've capped it. Like that is, that's my top number. I don't know. I'm dealing with that right now. I don't know how to do it. Yeah, but, long term care, what they need is a, a tail policy. Which they, they don't. And why? Because yeah. of the fact that... It'd be super cheap and they would sell it like crazy. Most people wouldn't understand. Yes. It's, it's, so, it's so frustrating. So long-term care generally is a very expensive type of policy. So I need to spend time on that. Disability is the same, right? You're younger, spend time on disability. But if you have an emergency fund, as an example, three to six months emergency fund, and your short-term disability is three to six months, you don't need short-term disability, which is one of the most expensive policies out there. So you can solve it in a different way. Uh, car insurance versus homeowners. Which, which asset is cost more? Well, for most, I shouldn't be so judgy. <laughs> <laughs> For most of us, maybe I'm a little judgy. Maybe your house costs more than your home, right? But which, which insurance costs more? Your car. And why? Because there's a better chance it'll happen to you. So what do we do? It, we can easily raise our deductible on our homeowner's insurance for most of us. I mean, think about your own situation. Raise that deductible if you have an emergency fund and cover it yourself. And then car insurance, maybe you raise that deductible too. And by the way, the ROI, because Pete and I were talking about cash in a discussion earlier today, that you don't need to have a lot of cash sitting around. Cash doesn't earn a lot of money right now, duh, obviously. And, but, but your ROI on cash is not that. Your ROI in cash is now I'm saving all this money in insurance, right? All this money I'm saving from these insurance companies is my ROI on my cash sitting there. So I think if you broaden, I think I'm taking your question and going like this. <laughs> but if you broaden the if you broaden the discussion, I think you make some better decisions. Okay, cool. Yeah, that that discussion is always interesting because I was thinking about um, recently what I learned from Pete, Mr. Money Mustache, and probably the first easy thing I learned was maybe to be a, a little bit different, like sa save money, maybe it's some kind of version of a hippie or something, I don't know. You, you live a little bit frugal to save money, but I think the really important part of it was to not let money change your values just because you have money at some point. If you've become successful, you don't have to let that inform who you are or change who you are. It's okay to be the person you were before if that was making you happy. And uh, I don't know, that's been very valuable to me. Like money is just an amplification of the things that made me happy before I don't need to change. And uh, This is this is what I love about Camp Fi. I mean, very seriously, Camp Fi, is, 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 who's, who's been to a Camp Fi? Probably quite a few people here. Like Camp, if you haven't been to Camp Fi, like there's, if you've never been to a Camp Fi, there's nothing that sounds suckier 
<laughs> than this. I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go spend three days at this church camp. I'm a little bit too bougie for this. Uh, spend three days at this church camp, maybe with a with a mattress about this thick, you know. And at 54 years old, wake up with back pain every day. And then we're gonna, you know, sit around and have these money discussions. And what's funny is I went to one. Finally, Stephen finally convinced me to go to one last year. And it was transformative. It's amazing because to your point, you spend a whole weekend talking about your values and thinking it's not about the money, it's about your values. And what do you really appreciate in life? And it might be, you know, next weekend we're going hiking in the Cascades. So maybe it's hiking. Hiking costs you nothing, you know? And maybe I want to spend more time doing that. But but I spending more time thinking about your values is great. And we say that, but our lives get in the way. So I really like... I really like Camp 5 because it takes you out of your normal day-to-day and you go someplace else and kind of reboot with these, you know, people that begin as strangers and then become some of your best friends. Yeah. It's interesting. I've tried to persuade people to go to some of these events, even like this, and they're like, what the hell is this shit? We're just going to go and talk about money? That sounds like the worst thing ever. But the odd thing is, like you just said, hardly any of the conversations are about money. It's what we want to do with our lives after we freed ourselves from having to worry about money. Yeah. So it's not about money. It's how we live our best life. And money is just a tool yeah. at a lower level. And I feel very privileged to say this. We're very fortunate. I'm very thankful for it. But money is just a starting point. It's what you do after you've accomplished that, after you've had the money to. We, we start off the book there for this very reason. You know, back to your first question about like, where does this book sit? I've, I've read most of the books that are out there. And a book that I really like is uh, Ramit Sadie's. Uh, a, a book, I Will Teach You to Be Rich. And he talks about at the beginning of his book, he's like, okay, the place you should start off is with goal setting, but nobody actually does that. So I'm going to give you something actionable. Well, and I agree, I agree with every one of those statements, but I do believe we have to start with goal setting, but we actually have to do it right. So, um, so thinking about that, I thought, how can we do goal setting in a way that makes it work? So, um, uh, what you do that's different with goal setting than what most people do. By the way, here's why most goal setting doesn't work. Who's still working on their New Year's resolutions? Anybody? <laughs> like, you're like, my New Year's what? Like, what? are you really? Are you seriously? Yes. But m- most people don't, right? There's one hand in Mindy's hand. Mine, it's only because I failed at them and I'm still trying to get them right. Like, this should take a month and here we are like halfway through the year. <laughs> Most people don't even know what the, well, but, but what's funny is you're accountable about it, which I like, but the problem with most New Year's resolutions is they exist in a vacuum. Your goals exist in a vacuum and real life gets in the way of that vacuum. So three weeks in, all of a sudden, all of a sudden, you're like, you know what? I'll do that later. I'm going to do this later in the year. Well, what, what, what I really like and what worked for me when I was a financial planner was this thing called timelining your goals. And you take a sheet of paper and you put yourself as a, so we'll take Sandy right here, since you wouldn't talk to me earlier. <laughs> See, I found a way. We'd, uh, so Stan, Sandy puts herself as a stick figure here. And then this is the rest of her life. Goes on a long way. And then, I, and then Sandy asks herself, what does she want during her life? So financial independence is going to be a big ball here. And then she's got maybe some other goals, you know, some things that she wants to do. And we'll put those, those goals out there. What are these values? We spend time talking about what the values are. And now we've done everything that you do with goal setting, except it's different in a couple critical ways. The first way is we've set the goals visually and where we have to learn to speak 
it takes us time to speak. If we're sighted when, we, when we're born, we automatically make these, have spatial recognition. Like, you know, you're sitting there, sitting there, like we've got this, these, these spaces between these things. And so our subconscious mind immediately, the second we put these out here, starts making these goals fight against each other. Which one's more important? Is that one more important? Is that, how am I going to get this and that? Am I going to get all these things? And your brain starts working at it when you put it out there visually. But even more than that, you take each of these goals. And what I used to ask when I was a financial planner was, you know, for Sandy to get where she wants to go for this financial independence goal, how much money is it going to take to reach that goal? And where for us, it's very simple math, right? You know what the average person I met with said, I have no idea. So then I'd ask, why are you putting the amount you're putting in your 401k? And they'd answer, it's, it's what I can afford. And then I'd ask the other question, so where's that going to get you? And the answer was, I don't know. So when we start putting these lines down here to our budget, now we actually have a budget we want to keep because of the fact that it's, it's linked to these values that we set up. But let's say we can't do all of them. If we can't do all these things, then we start asking, are we have the best conversations then? Which of these things is really most important? Is this more important or is that more important? And those that we don't have the conversation about the money. We don't have the conversation about what goes bye-bye so I can get the things that really matter. So I really like uh, timelining your goals. Yeah. And this is elaborated in, in the book in a very good fashion. So, yeah, but even if, he, I mean, even if not, I know I, I should be trying to sell my book, but, 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 but even without that, just take your goals and put them out on a timeline. Ask yourself those questions. It's, it's not hard. Yeah, it's so interesting. One of the questions that comes up in the financial independence community often with couples is, hey, I found this, but my spouse isn't quite on board. Like, how do I convince them? And going at it, say, hey, we need to save money is the wrong way to go about it. It's what you said. You timeline it and you say, what do you really want out of life? Where do you want to see yourself in 10 or 15 years? And I don't think most people are going to say, I want a new Lamborghini. They're going to say, well, I want to spend time with my kids. We'll be like 10 and 12 at that time if everything works out. Or I want to be maybe living in Portugal or traveling abroad. And none of these things, they cost money, but the money isn't the goal. It's some experience that they use the money as a tool to fund. And if you present it working in reverse, doing this timeline exercise in the book, I think that's a... I get excited about that. Like when, when people found the fire movement, like you see the light bulb comes on because all of a sudden I've, I've done this little bit of math, right? All of a sudden I've got this. And that is for me, that is now my budget lines up. I will save 50% of my income because I know what that's for. And now it goes from this chore of budget, holy crap, to the most exciting thing I could possibly do. And then, like Elizabeth was telling me earlier, it goes from 50% to, you know, more 60, 70. And you start pushing yourself because now the game, now it's a game. It's yeah. fun. But but the goal isn't money. It's what comes after money. Yes, and that's what it's achieving to... that even more. It's this achievement thing. I have one more question that I stole from Doug, who may have stolen it from someone else. You can cop it up to it now, Doug, if you want to. But And then after that, I'll we'll open it up to the audience members. If anyone has a question, they can say it. We'll, we, we will repeat it, and then Joel will answer it. But... What does a perfect day for you look like? Doug, did you steal that from someone? Or? Probably. Uh, okay, Doug said he, he may have stolen it, but he doesn't know who. What's your perfect day? <laughs> so, so my perfect day is doing whatever I want to on that particular day. But I'll tell you, on most days, my perfect day is actually doing the podcast. Um, I don't need to work. I mean, I, I've done a good job of saving. I, I, I just, I'm so addicted to this idea of financial literacy for more people. I'm even more addicted to the idea of just screwing around 
on our show. You know, like and, right and making it, but, but yeah, making it tighter and making it more fun. And, you know, we study comedy now um, uh, all the time. And I love going to these comedy classes and, and uh, yeah, but keeping up with current events for our headline segment, interviewing in- interesting people. It just, it's a, I don't know, it feeds my ADD. Yeah. So, so I guess one follow up. What is the best part about doing the podcast? What do you? Is it any one single thing? Or yeah, just the bad news is I like all of it. Like, I like editing the shows. Like, I don't know, Matt, how you felt about it, doing it, but but I liked every part. Uh, 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 some more than others? I don't like to hear myself talk. You don't? <laughs> Are you saying I like to hear myself talk? I like talking. I don't want to hear it back. Yeah. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. This is Matt Cheney, the audience, who are the Listen Money Matters podcast. You were one of the OGs, and you had a yes. huge following way back when, and, and you gave it up. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yes. Yeah. But okay. a ton of fun. Okay. It was funny, actually, talking about Listen Money Matters and just getting into the nerdery of what we do. You know, it is a small group of shows. And I thought when we created Stacky Benjamin, so I was mowing my lawn and, I, and I'd had people tell me because I had done PR for American Express for a long time. And they told me that I should do a podcast because I listen to podcasts. all day. Like, you should do a podcast. I'm like, I do not want to be Susie Orman or Dave Ramsey yelling at people about their money. Like, I don't. Like, good for them. That is not me. I don't want to do it. And then I'm mowing my lawn one day, and I hear these guys click and clack uh, the show Car Talk. And I realize, I realize I am not learning shit about a car. I'm learning nothing about a car, and I'm having such a blast in car culture, right? And I feel comfortable, and I'm like, oh, the world needs this show. So there's a few podcasts out there in the financial realm, and we become the kind of the clowns over here that are just trying to get people interested. So I think I'm outflanking everybody. And then a couple of years later, this damn show called Listen Money Matters outflanks us where they're the clowns. And you guys were the heavy metal, the beer, the, oh my God, that was so fun. It was so fun. But it was, it was, it was fun to see it was fun to see that that time of shows finally starting to go more toward the comedy side. You know what I mean? Like, let's lighten it up. That was a that was a great movement. I don't even know what the question was. I, I don't know either. <laughs> Who has a question for Joe? There it is. <laughs> Mark. Oh, David. Thank you. So you were talking about wanting to get this in front of people. Who aren't uh, yet? And I was just wondering, can you kind of elaborate? Like, besides the podcast and the book, what else is there to be done to get this? Oh man! So yeah. So David asked about what more needs to be done or can be done to get this in front of people besides a podcast or book and the and the financial independence or yeah, or money or yeah, let's money be, education. Yeah, let's be clear because I'm not. I mean, don't get me wrong. If my book becomes a super bestseller, that'd be fantastic. But getting financial literacy in front of more people is where my brain is. And I think a few things. I think we need more voices. I think a lot of people are thinking, yeah, I could probably maybe do this, but it's already being said. Maybe, but like Carl said earlier, there's only so many stories. It's your voice that's missing. It's your story. And you are going to attract people who are likely like you and you'll repel people who aren't like you. 
you will, you will attract those people. And so there's people that I will never reach. You know, I'm a 54 year old middle-aged white dude. Like I'm just not going to reach some people. And we try to make a very diverse show because I recognize that we're not going to reach people, but we still won't reach people because we also have a lot of dumb humor on our show that some people don't appreciate and they're idiots. But, <laughs> but, but, but I recognize we're not going to get everybody. I've got my, my thing, but I think, but I think if we have more voices, we have more people doing it. You know, people always ask, I don't, they probably ask you this, Pete. They're like, isn't it saturated? Like, isn't this whole thing saturated? And I'm like, there's 330 million people in the United States for podcasting. I don't know what it's like for blogging, but for podcasting, you can take Dave Ramsey, who doesn't share his numbers, but it's probably between one and two million people an episode. We have 180,000-ish downloads a week for Stacking Benjamins over our three shows. Take Choose FI, take take the uh, Mile High Fi show. Yep, take uh, take uh, Bigger Pockets money. Take all the shows. There's maybe seriously eighteen million, maybe twenty million people. Nobody's listening yeah. to financial content. It is not saturated. We need we need more people out there doing God's work. That's what that's what we need. So, so how do you take like I don't know if this is where you're going with that, but like my question is always financial literacy. So I do microloans with people and I also have renters. And so just recently, and even today, I was thinking about this biking. One of my microloan people said, hey, can I skip a payment because I want to go on a, I want to go on a trip, so I need this money. And then also my renter was like, they couldn't make their payment on time because they were waiting for their check in the mail. And I'm thinking, gosh, these are really people who are, you know, who obviously live paycheck to paycheck yeah. and their one paycheck depends on it. And like, they're, you know, they're here and I'm like way up here and I don't like I don't even know where to start with financial literacy with them because they just like it's there's no concept for them to even you know under like I don't even know how to start with financial literacy for them, but I desperately want them to be in a better position where they're not calling me saying I can't make this one payment because I want you I want to go on vacation with this money so and I skip a payment. But, but like, do you get to time to have do you get time to have discussions with them though? Some of them I do, but I mean this is also like I have a lot of friends that are immigrants and are from third world countries, and so that's like it's just even the, the yeah that the under you know they're just trying to make it in the U.S. and so it's like they're not coming from sort of our backgrounds, and I don't know how to explain that. But I don't know no, if knows what I mean. But like that's the people I want to. Like help our, I, mean, even, uh, I find th th this is actually kind of a, a little bit of a re recurring discussion that I love that I've had as I've gone. This is my 36th city around the United States. And it is cool that we're having this conversation over and over again about how do we. And I think I've landed on, and I don't know if I'm right, but, but I've landed on, I think, sharing mistakes especially for the people here, uh, is a great way to get people involved. Because I think that they think that some of us are just so damn good with money. And that when we start talking to them, like even without trying, it seems like you're the schoolmaster and they're this poor little kid that's screwing stuff up, right? And you don't want that relationship. What you want is like to finally have these heart-to-heart -heart talks. And I think talking about how you've messed stuff up I think is a, is a, is a good way to begin that. And I actually have one of those stories. If, if you guys don't mind for th th that's not in the book, uh, uh, Emily shares a story about a unfortunate tattoo. Um, 
I share, I share a story about how I'm, I'm, I'm searching for money in this rusted out minivan. I was told by the way, in 1992, that they approve everybody for car loans. Cause by the way, I didn't have any cash and I didn't have any credit, but my buddy told me, he's like, no, they give car loans to everybody. I found out that wasn't true. <laughs> and by the way, what's interesting about that was when it all came crashing down, I was already a financial advisor and I have a chapter in the book about what a sham I was about what a sham many financial advisors are. And if you're going to hire advisors, how to, how to work with decent people. But anyway, so a story that happened to me back in, I'm a farm boy from West Michigan. Go West Michigan. Where's Carl? Where'd he go? Anyway, uh, we had my Grand Rapids friend here. We, um, uh, and I was, I was the boys middle school track coach. And there was a girls middle school track coach who I was very interested in named Cheryl. And uh, we start dating a little bit and then we date more and we date more. And I'm like, I just, man, I just love this woman. And uh, I finally decided I had this little baby credit card with not that much credit on it. And I had these three part-time jobs. One of them was coaching track and I save up this money and I asked her, I'm like, would you go on a weekend to Chicago with me? And she said, yes, she would go. And I'm like, this is awesome. And I found this place just north of, you know, Russian division where all the bars are. Just north of there, there's these brownstone neighborhoods in these leafy areas. And there's this one hotel called, it used to be called the Claridge. Now it's Hotel Indigo, but it's this boutique hotel. And so being a farm boy, she said, yes, I'm super excited. We drive to Chicago from West Michigan. We get to this hotel. I've never been in a hotel like this. There are terry cloth robes in the hotel. They have, they have these slippers that you can put on your feet. Not only that, Cheryl goes in to get ready because it's late afternoon and we're going to go out to dinner and then go out to the bar. Not only that, as she's in there, she comes out of the bathroom. I'm sitting on the bed with uh, a Bud Light and some macadamia nuts. And she's like, where did those come from? I'm like, you'll never believe this place. There's a refrigerator over here <laughs> and it is full of stuff. Like, this is so awesome. And she goes, I think you got to pay for those. And I laughed and I go, I don't think you know how much I pay for this hotel. Like, you have no idea. This was expensive. So not only, <laughs> what was that? <laughs> so not only... Not only, does, so she's like, all right. So she grabs a drink too and, you know, some Pringles or something and sits next to me watching this football game and go out. At the end of the night, not only do they have this amazing thing where this turndown service and these little, you know, the chocolates on the pillows, but they've also refilled the damn fridge. <laughs> so the next day we get ready to go out. I grab a couple of waters out of there. You know, we grab some snacks because we're going to go to the museums. We're going to go check out Chicago. We go, we have a great day. We come back. They refilled the damn thing again. This is a good <laughs> <laughs> no foreshadowing. So, so we have this remarkable weekend and we get done and uh, we're checking out of the hotel. We, we, you know, we, 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 we lock up, we're out in the, out in the, uh, the, uh, hallway and we're going down to the elevator and I, I look at my room key and I'm like, what the hell am I thinking? And Cheryl's getting on the elevator and I'm like, I'll be right back. 
And she goes, she goes, why? I said, I forgot something in the room. It's fine. I'll be right back. So she, she goes down to the lobby. I go back in the room. I take my suitcase. I unzip it. I, I move it over here next to the fridge. I take my right hand and I take all the stuff out of the fridge. I take the hot dams. I take the Toberlone, right? I got it all. I zip that thing up. So I am, uh, I'm, um, I don't even buy those and save. God, yeah, no, I'm way too frugal for that, but, and it gets in your teeth. But so anyway, so I, I get down and this is, you know, I'm a, I'm 54 years old and, and I was young at the time and, and they didn't have like call in checkout. So you had to wait in this long ass line. So I wait in this line forever, ever. And I finally get to the front time to check out. And the woman says, did you enjoy your stay? And I go, this is the best hotel I've ever, this is an amazing hotel. This is great. And she's like, well, great. Glad you liked it. And I said, oh, we loved it. And she goes, did you enjoy the mini bar? And I thought I'm, I, I try to believe I'm a very polite person inside. I said, what the hell business of yours is that? Right. But I didn't say that a lot. I said, oh, we enjoyed it very much. Thank you. And she takes out this piece of paper from under the thing and she goes, okay, well, we, we, uh, we, we logged everything you had the first two days, but if you've had anything since then, just check it on this piece of paper and we'll add it to your bill. And I look at those macadamia nuts, right? And I look at the Pringles and I'm like, I wasn't trying to buy the damn hotel. I was just trying to have a snack. And, uh, and then she's staring at me and I'm just sitting there and I look at my bag and then I look back at her. And then I look at my, I look at my, bag, I look at my bag again. I look over at Cheryl and she's like, what, what's going on? And then the dude behind me, he's been there as long as I've been. He's goes, <coughs> I kind of do one of these. The woman leans forward and goes, is everything okay, sir? And I'm like, yeah, it's okay. And I look at the bag again. And then I look at her and I said, I had all of it. <laughs> <laughs> And she goes, excuse me? And I go, I had all of it. And she was super professional. Her, her, her smile only went like this for like a second, like just a second before she's like, very well, sir, just sign here on the bottom. And uh, I signed the thing and then she's like running my credit card. I'm like, oh, please, God, go through. Please go through. And uh, yeah, that didn't, didn't, but we had Toberlone the whole way home, which was good. And all the, all the snacks we wanted. Have you paid it off yet? Or? <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> 54 easy installments. No, but, 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 but I guess back to the original point, I, I like telling that story because if we talk, because I think people think I'm good with money now, but if you tell stories about how you mess stuff up, it again, lowers the temperature. So we can have these very serious conversations we need to have about how to do better things. Man, that's a good one. Yeah, so let's do one more question, and then we're, we'll be here. We're going to hang out, right? We're going to hang out. Yeah, no, you're not. <laughs> of course, I'm hanging out. We're, we're going to chain There's you down in the here. basement. You like basements, right? I From the podcast. Yeah. Have you seen our basement yet? Or? I have not been to the basement yet. It's pretty awesome. We should have done our Pete. We should have done our thing there. It's actually not awesome, but uh, <laughs> I think you overselling it? it. Yeah, yeah, way overselling yeah, it. Yeah. <laughs> Has anyone ever seen the movie Pulp Fiction? Do you remember the basement scene from that? Ours isn't quite as nice. Got to Oh, look at the time. Yeah. <laughs> we have the red. No, nah, never mind. Um, does anyone else have one more question? And then, uh, what's your name? My name's Neil. Neil. Okay. What question do you have, Neil? So, uh, I guess my question is, um, 
if you had all this information in the book, what, why, you know, if you already have these other outlets, you have the 201, you have the, the podcast, why write a write a yeah. book? Like, like I mean, you could, I mean, yeah, it's going to be whatever a year's worth of uh, content, right? You could go through it, you could share it. Like, why? Like, what? What's the yeah? What's the yeah, so Deal is asking why Joe wrote this book in the first place if he has a podcast and other outlets. Yeah, all these other outlets. You know, because right now it's impossible to find people. Like you think about it, we used to all watch the same news. We don't watch the same news anymore. We used to read the same newspapers. What the hell is a newspaper, right? We do social media. We don't do social media. It's, it's impossible to find the people that need help. What I've found by people, like as I, once I, once I got into this, the first book, real, th this book was going to be my first book and my last book. Um, and I really had as a challenge that I wanted to prove to myself that I could do this, that I could get through this. And um, so I'm happy with it that way too. I thought I had something to say and I, and I did it. But, the, but what I've noticed since then is that there's a reason people like Gene Chatsky from the Today Show or the, you know, Pete and I were talking about the Ramsey people or the, um, the, uh, even comedians, you know, they have a new book out like every three years. It just is, it's, it's this reason to keep bringing up financial literacy in a different way. It is amazing how differently media has treated me since I wrote the book than before. Before I was the guy who just orchestrated what we call the greatest money show on earth because it's a circus, right? And now, now Joe's a thought leader you know, whatever that means, but, but, but it is, it's a different thing. So I have this feeling that if we're going to continue to work on financial literacy, like having a new book every, I don't know, three years, four years, five years, something reaches a different demographic. It reaches different people. I've had so many people that have found our podcast because they found the book and they say, you know, I've, I was screwing stuff up with my money. I went to Barnes and Noble. I saw stacked and then I, saw that you had a podcast and now I'm listening. Great. Fantastic. One more, one more person to evangelize with their friends about getting their act together. Yeah. So that's the reason, you know, but, but it's frustrating. I mean, to your point, what I would really, part of me, Mindy and I were having this discussion earlier. There's a big piece of me that misses the old days of just doing the damn podcast. But as I thought about my mission and my values and what I really get excited about, which is bringing more people on board, um, I realize now I got to do video more, you know, I got to do, uh, which, which I'm finding I'm enjoying the, 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 the technical challenge, but now it's all these different things. We're going to reopen the blog. The blog's going to restart again at Stacking Benjamins in the next few weeks. We got a board game coming out. So is that your favorite board game now? <laughs> What's that? My board game? Is that your favorite board game now? No, you know what pissed me off about my board game? So where this game is really good. I got sent another board game by a guy that some people here may know as well. And the game, saw, oh, it was so bad. It was, it, was, it was unplayable. It was so bad. But that didn't make me mad. I played board games so much, I knew how to effing fix it. That's what drove me crazy. So then I told the guy, I'm like, why don't we partner together? We'll call it the Stacking Benjamins game and I will fix your game. So I've, I came into this project halfway through and I'm fixing his game. Hopefully... The timeline is we want to do that at the end of this year. but So in closing, I, I want to thank Joe for being here. And the thing that I'm thinking of right now is I'm looking at the back of his shirt and we've got like uh, <laughs> Dallas, Austin, Portland, Seattle, Miami, Minneapolis, Kansas City, Omaha. And then we have Longmont, Longmont. out here. Yeah, <laughs> which one? 
is not like the other. But Joe came here, and I'm so thankful that he did. So, yeah. Oh yeah, our yeah, contest. You guys give me a second. Let's get some stuff away. Is there another sixty-nine in this number? I hope so. Oh, so you didn't do it. Hurry. <laughs> we got to get Dusty's. It's it's not official until Dusty's. It didn't go the back row. Oh, we got to. What happened? Who's responsible for this? All right, who else needs it? Mindy? We got it. So, Joe, the other thing I'm thinking. One of the, what I love about the fact you wrote a book is that a lot of times people don't hear the message because they're not ready to receive it. And this book gives you a way to like give someone something and then they can take it in when it's safe. Yeah. Because you're not like having a conversation. It's not embarrassing. It's not hard. It's just like, oh, yeah, I can pick this up. And, you know, like sometimes people hear a message differently when it's from someone else. Where if I told my dad something, he'd be like, oh, you're my little girl. You don't know anything. But yeah, right, if I right. Joe, right. <laughs> Say that again. I did, I did, I, that sounded good. Yeah. No, it's funny that, you know, uh, I mean, it's the same with, uh, with the uh, podcast. I'm sure it's the same with the blog. Like the reason new people find you is because they're, they're, they have a baby, they're buying a house, they realize they have too much credit card debt. Like there's these life milestones. and. Um, and that generally seems to be the main time that new people come and find us or, or they, they, you know, really a lot of people say I got sick of Dave Ramsey and decided to look further. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. So it Dusty, like Dusty told me a story probably about a year ago, which I love how you give your nieces and nephews copies of different books. I remember you said Scott Trench is set for life and you, you offer them money to read the books. And at the time you said <laughs> you, bribes them to read the you had not been successful, but yeah, at the time I had two thoughts. I'm like, how much, like, can I get in on that? Num number one thought. Like, <laughs> yeah, I think it was like a D dusty. Was it like a hundred dollars? I thought it was. I offered $100 and he just graduated and I offered it again. And he said, no. Have you ever got anyone? to? His little brother said yes, though. Good. So, and then his little brother is the one that I was like, I have a friend that's fixing up a house here in Longmont. If you want to come out and put in some slave labor. Yeah, there's there, there's lots of that. If, you have, if anyone knows anyone who wants some. Uh, that's late. I'm going to pay. It's going to be well. Yes. I'll give them a copy of the book, too. So, yeah. That is, I found that with my kids. Like, with my kids, like, if, if Joe says it, like, I roll, it's dad, right? But so, I, I uh, Mindy helped me get Scott's book. And, um, and then, uh, I got a copy of Aaron Lowry's book, Broke Millennial. And I gave those to my kids over the holidays when they were seniors in high school. And, um, and they, I don't know if it's a gender thing or what it is, but my daughter's a huge Aaron Lowry fan still. And my son is a big time Scott Trench fan. And now my son is like, oh, guess what Scott Trench said? Guess what's that? And you know, <laughs> no, 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 no. But the key for me though, Dusty is don't remind him. You know, I, I don't want to, I don't want him to know that that came from me. Like, you know what I mean? It's, yeah, you lean in and you say, tell me more. Yes, absolutely. Oh yeah. Because you know? Scott is brilliant. Yes, yep. he, he, he truly is. All right. I think we're almost done. No, I think we got a couple up here in the front still. 
I think we do. Okay, one more question. Uh, what so is- my, my son just finished eighth grade, and he did a budgeting assignment, which I made him show me, and he got something ridiculous like 8000 a month, Then he got a Mustang for 100 bucks a month, and I was just thinking, <laughs> is there any chance? I, I've always kind of half-joked that any real discussion about finance in high school or junior high is going to reveal too much about what teachers make. Uh, do you think there's any real possibility of reevaluating how we teach children about so, so Matt is asking if we need to, we need to reevaluate if there is a chance of how we reevaluate how children are taught finance in school. Yes. Okay. Man, I hope so because the studies show that it doesn't work. Like even if kids get the message right then, they still go out and they get a bundle of debt. Like they don't. There's no efficacy. They don't. They don't. They don't take what they learn and actually apply it. They go make the same mistakes anyway. But I know there's been some some curriculums. There was a. Guy used to play actually for the Broncos, and I'm not going to get his game. Who's on his name? Who's on my show? Who has a financial literacy program for kids that he's behind that has shown some remarkable numbers. And again, it's behind gamifying it, right? If you turn into turn into more of a game, man, I hope so. I mean, I'm just happy that we're seeing more states start to add programs. That's the first thing is to see states add programs. I think that you know, I mean, and it's so hard because. To some degree, it's up to us to not wait for the schools. And yet we're leaving so many parents behind and they feel not worthy, uh, which is also a struggle because I've met, I met somebody a year ago who came clean with her two kids that she was really screwing up with her money. And the three of them got out of debt together as a family. Like it was great. She was learning along with her kids. So she didn't have to be the guru and which was which was fantastic, but I, I don't know. My second part, and I would love to get Mr. Money Mustache's opinion too, is there have been studies that show we see our future selves as the same as strangers. Yeah. How do you get young people to care about that future self? Pete? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know other than just talking about how to realize later when I'm telling stories, which is probably not something I'm really going to listen to all that much. But, so, um, do they have to make some mistakes before they start to listen to you a little better? Maybe. Or do they want to hear about our mistakes? Some people just do stuff wisely from the beginning, like the squirrel-type children. Natural Let's say you don't have one of those. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, yeah, I, don't, I haven't really figured out whether to include children. Yeah. I think including medium-age adults is a little more plausible. Most of them ask questions. Yeah, example, like living by example, pretty good for your kids. So if they see the parents not being ridiculous, then they're just not even going to know that ridiculousness is an option. And that's a good sign. That's a good start. Modeling. Yeah, like if you drive your kids around in like a Chevrolet Suburban that's least, you know, from the time they're born, they're going to think that's normal, and that's what they're going to go around for their first car. Whereas if you're walking to school, they're going to think that's, that's how you get to school. Like, you know, it's like these different universes that they don't even see the, the prosperous universe that most Americans live in. And I think that's a pretty solid advantage. It's not living in bad with money world. I, um... I think, and I think that's a, there's a two-parter there, which is... I think... A, Often we don't let kids screw up enough with money. We don't let them have some money to mess up with. And this is a parenting challenge is to let your kid have some money in a target and not talk them out of stuff. Just let them blow the 
10 bucks or 15 bucks and then write in your, you know, set a reminder on your phone to talk to him a week later and do the Dr. Phil, how did that work out for you? You know, which, which I've, you know, my daughter is a spender like I am and, and that worked very effectively. And she now is, is a fantastic, very frugal person. She still likes to, she still likes clothing but it is all consignment shop. It's all, I mean, she, she looked phenomenal with Rent the Runway at her prom where all the girls around her had bought these dresses they're gonna wear once. She wore hers one day and it was fantastic. Um, but I think that's a part two, letting them, giving them some rope to, to screw stuff up. All right, what what's it? Oh, me? It's interesting, so I've actually done experiments on my children. God, that's so insult. <laughs> That sounds so bad. So I remember as a kid, I was always a saver. And I don't know why. I think it's a nature versus nurture thing. And I think some of it's not a good thing, even though I was a saver. I think it came out of, for me at least, a little bit of insecurity. But I remember our older kid, Mindy can talk about this too. We would go to Target and she'd have like 10 bucks for her birthday. And she'd be like, I want to buy this doll or whatever. I'm like, well, you can buy that doll. But if you buy that doll, your $10 will forever be gone and you can't buy anything else with it. At that time, it's gone. And without exception, I think she would always say, okay, dad, I've just, and I would say, you can save it or you can spend it. I will not say anything further. And without exception, she would always be like, okay, I've decided I'm going to save my money and take it home. Our younger daughters, two years, I wish they were here tonight. Neither of them showed up, right? Uh, so I'd give her the same lecture. I'd be like, Daphne, if you spend your 10 bucks, on whatever it was, it, it'll be gone. But if you save it, you'll have it. And she'd be like, okay, it's in the cart, boom. <laughs> so I don't know, I think it's, I think my answer is that it's different for everyone. I think we're born differently. I think we're programmed differently. There's a lot of value to the nature argument of that. And you just have to figure out tactics to reach different people. And the interesting thing is as our kids have grown older, like the, the younger one just doesn't really care about money. And I cared about money a lot as a kid. I remember reading Pete's story about like ironing bills and like putting them in like a book or something like that. I wasn't that extreme. I, I wasn't, I was an MMM extreme, but I was close to that. And uh, what was that? Did you, did, you, did you still have it? Or? That would be pretty cool. But I think everyone's different and you just have to find ways to reach people. And my I kids think my the, twins. I mean, I have twins. You think they'd be the same? Yeah. My, we would go to Disney and a friend of ours, which by the way, 18 bags of money, right? And, and my, uh, my, a friend of mine gave us a great tip, which is, you know, cause every ride ends in a gift shop. So, so instead give your kids an allowance X every day. So my kids were eight years old. We gave them, I don't remember. 10 bucks or 15 bucks a day. And we were there for four days. And we said, listen, you know, we'll go to the Disney store at the end of it. You can buy something big then with your, with all four days money, you could buy something all four, all four days, or you can take the money home. My daughter, we, the park opens at 10 AM, like 10 06. It's gone. Like her 15 bucks is gone. My son went home with all the money. Like with all the money. And today my daughter is a, is a great saver. Cause like me, she hides money from herself. She, she hides money and she has done a great job saving. She doesn't earn a lot of money. She teaches English in Japan. She, she makes very little money, but she saves a ton of her, 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 she's got to save 50, 60% of what she makes. My son is an engineer at Microsoft and has 11 rental properties at 27 years old. And dad didn't help him with any of it. I mean, they, they couldn't be more night and day. How much did you tell your kids about your own money and your own decisions along the 
away. Like, we, like my generation grew up with. It's a secret. Yeah. It's none of kids' business. Oh, that was me. Yes. Something we don't talk about. Yes. I called my parents having sex. I never saw their paycheck. <laughs> I'll tell you, I wish it would have been the other way around. <laughs> so True story, by the way. <laughs> so my, my sister, my sister, unfortunately, she's a lot younger than me, but she's like 10 years younger than me. But she told me a story when I came back from college. Her, her, her headboard of her, of her bed was up against the same wall that my parents' headboard was. <laughs> And her bed would start shaking on a random night for about 23 seconds. <laughs> and she's like, it is awful. Get me out of here. How do I get out of here? What, what is 23 times three? <laughs> I, I think this leads us to our answer. Then we should hang out and have better conversations. Did we get that? All right. Yes. Uh, we, can, we can cut that in post, right? Uh, all right. In third place with 625 is, uh, I think it's Carrie Gaynor. Yes, sir. Carrie, nice job. <laughs> but don't clap too hard because he's getting the scraps. So in second place with 840 is Wes Phillips. Me. Wes, nice job. And our winner, because the answer was of those uh, of those palindrome numbers, nine thousand six hundred and sixty-nine. Of those in a spacecraft, it was seven hundred and forty-six. The winner was seven hundred. Is Jennifer Hafner? Nice job. All right, Jen. So you get the pick. Do you want the book, the awesome rock and roll swag, or the board game? The board game is called Franklin's Fortune. It's a lot like, this is my copy. He's going to send you one. Um, but it's like a Dominion, if you like it. Plays good with two people. It's a card game about uh, Ben Franklin. Ah, I'll take the books. Awesome. Yeah, just grab one back there. Yep. And then uh, that means we've got, uh, so that means that uh, Wes, Wes, you want the swag or the board game? The swag, awesome. Can you do me a favor? On the back of here, just give me your name and address and, uh, and, and your size, and then write shirt. Well, if you put your size, I'll probably know it's shirt. You should also win What's that? You should also win something for coming the further. We have people here from Spain. Yes. We have a Mr. Tetris won a book, too. You're Mr. Tetris, right? Yeah. Yes. Take a Grab a book. Awesome. Where did you come from? San Juan Capistrano. Fantastic. You guys are from Los Angeles, too. So thank you for, for coming. Thank you. Where is Texarkana? Is that Texas or Arkansas? It's, it's both. Really? Yes. Which one are you on? I live 800 yards where they're building the wall between Texas and Arkansas. <laughs> the other wall. You know? They have like pork as the other meat. It's the other wall. Uh, I live on the Texas side, but it's Texarkana. Is there a rivalry? There? Texas, Arkansas, Louisiana. Yes. Oh, okay. The big ESPN did a thing about our two major high schools, Texas High and Arkansas High, every year have a big football game. All right. Uh, and then that means that the scraps, which is the board game. Do you like board games? Fantastic. So once again, name and address and just put board game on the back of your. Cool. All right, I think we did it. Yeah, thank Can we do you. it? Thanks to Carl. Thank you, lots of beer. Thank you to Carl. Thank you to Pete. Thank you. Thanks, guys. All right. Thanks for listening to the show. 
That was the Mile High Five podcast, and I'm Doug Cunnington, the balder host, and Carl Jensen is the cool, sexy one. If you dig the show, please do three things for us. Number one, tell a friend, a family member, an enemy about the show. We really don't care who you tell. Maybe forward them a specific show that you know that they will like. It's the single most helpful thing that you can do to spread the word. It's like giving us a virtual high five. And uh, actually, we don't give high fives in, in person. So the virtual kind is pretty good. And more importantly, your friend or family member or even your enemy will appreciate the fact that you were thinking of them. Number two, make sure you're following or subscribed on your podcast app, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Overcast, YouTube, whatever you're using. And that way you won't miss a show. And number three, please leave us a rating and review. We read them on the show occasionally, and you might hear yours out there on an upcoming episode. Quick disclaimer, this show is not financial or legal advice. I'd actually be surprised if it sounded like it. It's really just for entertainment, and that's at least what we're hoping for. But seriously, get advice from professionals. Carl and I are just two guys with microphones that sit in my basement and talk. So we'll catch y'all next week.